Thanks for joining us on this week's Real Life Church podcast. We'd love to know if God is using this ministry to bless you in some way. And if you'd like to share your story or know more about getting involved at Real Life Church, you can visit us on our website at livereallife.com today. Uh, But today we're going to continue our series on running in circles, looking specifically at our mind, at the thoughts that go through our mind. And to kick off today's discussion, I want to tell you about a little bit of a bizarre time that we had at our house uh, about a few months back. So it's real early in the morning. It's still dark. Uh, you know, Caitlin, she got up. She, she went to the uh, hospital where she's a nurse. And I'm about to get the boys up and get them ready to, to go to daycare and, and their sitter. And I, I suddenly noticed that there is no heat anywhere in the house. No heat anywhere. And uh, how many of you know that in the middle of the Ohio winter, that's not a good place to be? Uh, it's important to have the heat going. And so I end up going to the, the heating and air unit, and I take a look, and sure enough, uh, there's no power coming from the unit. Uh, there's no lights flashing. Uh, so uh, I end up grabbing the phone, and I'm going to call the local heating and air company, and we're, you know, we're going to get this replaced. But something odd happened. As I was on the phone with them, I was going through the house, uh, flicking on lights, and I noticed that some lights were coming on, and some lights were not coming on. So I take a step back, I look at uh, my entire house, and it turns out that about half of my house has power, and the other half does not. So clearly we have a major issue here that's, that's bigger than just simply a heater that's not working. So we have the local power company come out, and, and we have electricians uh, take a look at uh, the, the damaged area, and they find out that there's uh, damage in the main electrical line from the box uh, to our house. They call it an electrical phase. And essentially what happened was a few months prior, there was a local digging company that was digging around that line, and they accidentally nicked that line. And so what ended up happening is that over time, that damage got bigger and bigger and bigger and pretty much ended in complete power failure in, in half of my home. And this thing was, a, this thing was really, I mean, this was a really crazy, complicated process. I think we have a photo of it here. And they had to end up fixing this thing twice. The damage was, was so crazy, they had to do it twice. And they had to dig this big, gigantic hole uh, in my front yard, uh, which made me super nervous because I didn't want someone to, like, jump in it or whatever or start playing in it. So we had, uh, we had this big hole in our yard. And, and I remember after the first time that we found out that uh, we had not fully fixed the issue, I, I, the, the power technician told me something that really stuck out to me. He said, you know what? you're not going to be able to maintain full power for long with this damage that is still in your electrical line. At some point, it's going to go out. We don't know when. It could be two weeks. It could be six months. It could be a year. But we do know that at some point, the power will fail. And that really stuck out to me, and I think that that applies to our discussion today about uh, the thought life. You cannot maintain a spiritually strong life with toxic thinking. At some point, it's going to catch up to you. And what we have to understand as believers is that Jesus Christ doesn't want us to have partial freedom, kind of like my house was partially powered. No, Jesus wants a lifetime of freedom with us in partnership with him. And we have to understand that there is a spiritual battle that is going on in our minds. 
And Scripture has a lot to say about this. If you have your Bibles with you, we'll start here in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul here is saying that, hey, as believers, we are useless if we conform to this world. How many of you know that? How many of you know that, that, that this world is full of lies, it's full of wickedness, it's full of evilness? So if we set our thoughts on that, that's going to hold us back spiritually. And he talks about this transformation that, it, that occurs, and a key to that transformation is a renewed mind. So, so, how, so, so why is the mind so important in this transformation that Paul talks about? I think there's two sort of quick truths to mention right off the bat. I think the first thing that you need to understand is whatever you dwell on takes priority in your life. Think about it. Your brain is a powerful thing. Yeah, I'm rem- reminded of last week, and I took my uh, three-year-old son, Sawyer, to see the monster truck rally. And uh, it, it's, I mean, three, or three is such a fun age. I mean, it's, it's fantastic just seeing him get so excited, and, and I get excited watching him get excited. Uh, but I did make a mistake here. Uh, I ended up telling him about the Monster Truck Rally a little bit too early, a little bit uh, with too much time in advance, uh, about two weeks early, actually, uh, to be accurate. And how many of you know that over the course of those two weeks, uh, the monster truck rally was uh, a hot topic of discussion in our household? Sawyer kept bringing it up. And in fact, here, you can see a picture of him here at the monster truck rally. This is him. He was so excited. He, I think he was more excited about wearing the earmuffs than the actual monster trucks, uh, but, uh, he, but he absolutely had a blast. But over the course of those two weeks, he keeps bringing it up. We'd be in the car driving to uh, his daycare, and he'd be in the back seat, and he'd be kind of like, you know, eyeing me in the rear view mirror, and, and he'll go, Daddy, we see monster trucks now? And then I would have to tell him, no, son, I'm sorry, we're going, we're going to daycare. We will soon, though. But it kept dominating his conversation. We'd be at the dinner table. We'd say, Sawyer, you, you hungry? You ready to eat? And he'll say stuff like, I'm ready for monster trucks. And I was like, well, that's not what we asked. And it even, it even um, made its way into his nighttime routine where, you know, he, he, he likes to pray prayers and, and, and go down the list of the friends he's thankful for, the family members he's thankful for. But there was one night, he just had one simple prayer. He was like, dear God, thank you for monster trucks. Amen. That was it. Mic drop. (laughs) How many of you know that Sawyer kept thinking about the Monster Truck Show so much that it ended up to affect his perspective on life? It dominated his conversation. This is how our brain works. There's scientific research that says that, that the more you think a certain thought, it creates something called a neural pathway in your brain. So essentially, the more you think about a thought, the more that it impacts your overall vision. And this is very, very important because uh, we have to understand that our thought life will determine the direction of our spiritual walk. You know, at the beginning of this series, Pastor Jason had a really powerful quote. He said, when you start to change the way you think, you can change the way you live. So that's the first point. Whatever you dwell on takes priority in your life. I think the second truth that we have to realize is because our mind is so powerful, because it, because it really shapes the direction of our life, you have to be intentional with your thought life. 
we can't approach our thought life in a passive way. And I think a lot of times, us as believers, we, we sort of underestimate, you know, the power of our thoughts. You know, sometimes we'll have a thought come in, and we just won't think anything of it. We'll just be like, oh, this is just a little thought. Or I'll, I'll kind of dabble a little bit of, on this on the side, and it won't impact my overall thinking. And, and I think that when we start developing that, that mindset, we, we really sort of open the door for destruction in our lives. We, we, we end up holding ourselves back spiritually. In fact, when our mind isn't set on heavenly things, it opens the door for something called strongholds. Now, a stronghold is an unwanted, repeated pattern of destructive thinking and behavior. Essentially, it starts off as a lie. It's a lie that I believe, and I build off onto that lie, and it just continues to grow over time. Uh, There's a lot of examples of what um, strongholds look like. You know, maybe you are constantly walking in fear, constantly uncertain about uh, the future. You know, you're walking through life kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop, and, and, and you're just constantly afraid. That would be considered a stronghold. A stronghold can also be an improper view of yourself, an improper view of God, an improper view of the world. Uh, It can even be towards someone else. You could have a stronghold in in your attitude towards someone else. Unforgiveness is a stronghold. Bitterness, anger, rage, jealousy, comparison, all of these things would be considered strongholds. But as believers, as believers in our relationship with Jesus Christ, it is important to understand that we have been set free. And as believers, we have the weapons that can help attack these lies that come into our brain, that can help attack and demolish these strongholds. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish strongholds in every pretension that sets itself, sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So notice here that a renewed mind demolishes strongholds. I also want you to notice here that, that, that toward the end here, Paul talks about taking every thought captive. So if, if you have been in the church for any amount of time, you have likely heard this phrase, take every thought captive, right? Uh, you know, even if you're watching this message uh, or if you're in this room and you're not a believer, chances are you've heard Christians use the term, take every thought captive. And that's great, but I I also don't want us to miss the second part of this verse, because sometimes I feel like we we really sort of focus a lot on the taking the thought captive, like, oh, there's the thought, hashtag take the thought captive, and then we completely forget the other part of the verse here. So so again, yes, we, we take captive every thought, but then we make it obedient to Christ. That's the important piece to that verse. See, this process of renewing your mind, Jesus Christ is central in this process. We have to be dwelling on God's truth. We have to be actively intaking God's truth to manage our thought life, to feed our thoughts on things from above. So how do we do this process of renewing our mind? I'm going to go through four quick points today about some practical steps that we can take in renewing our mind. And the first thing that I want you to note here is that we have to ask God to search our heart and mind. We cannot renew our mind without the Holy Spirit. 
it's impossible. You know, I remember uh, about several months ago, about nine months ago, uh, our second-born son, uh, Lucas, uh, came into the world. And uh, it was, uh, he, he came uh, three and a half weeks early, uh, so we had to spend some time in the NICU because he was having some de- developmental issues. Um, he's doing fine, by the way. He eats like a horse. So just constantly eating. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I don't know where all that food is going, but somehow he's finding a way to, to eat everything. Uh, so he's doing fine. But, but back then, you know, we're, if you've ever spent time in the NICU, you know that it is just a complete roller coaster of emotions, right? I mean, you have no idea what the next report is going to be like. You know, you celebrate the small victories, and then when those setbacks hit you, oh, it's just, it's so difficult. And so, you know, Caitlin and I are, are there in the NICU, and, and we're just, uh, you know, we're, we're just exhausted, and we're, we're constantly in prayer and constantly in the Word. And what was interesting about this setup here in the NICU is that the NICU room was very, very tiny. If you've ever spent time in a NICU room, you've noticed that there's not a whole lot of room there, right? Because you have the baby bed, and then you have all of these wires and these monitors. So, so we're, we're, we're in this really tight, cramped space, and there were certain things that we uh, started to learn about this room and, and some of the uh, options that we had at our disposal with this room as time went on. For example, uh, first couple of days, we only had uh, one, one chair there. And so Caitlin would sit on the chair, and the problem with the chair was that it wouldn't, it wouldn't recline, and Caitlin was still in a lot of, uh, a lot of pain. So we had to, uh, you know, get the pillows underneath her arms and behind her head and get really, like, creative for the first couple of days so she could hold Lucas without being in pain. And then I think it was around the second or third day, uh, the nurse uh, takes a look at us and she goes, uh, you know that that chair reclines, right? And I was like, oh, it does? She was like, yeah, yeah, there's a lever on the back. You just, you just pull the lever. So sure enough, we pulled the lever. And how many of you know that was a huge game changer? So we're like, oh, this is, this is incredible. And as the week is going on, I'm learning about more, uh, more of the room around me, more of the, the services that we have. Like, like, for instance, when I was uh, going to get Caitlin's stuff to eat and, and, and drink, I would take the very long trek down to the very first floor in the cafeteria, and I'd stay in line, and, and, and then I'd bring it all back up. And then about you know, three or four days into it, a nurse says, oh, hey, you know that we have a lounge next door, right, with, with, with food and water that you can easily uh, get your wife that. And I was like, wow, you know, that was, that was a huge, another kind of huge game changer. And then my mind was really blown because about four or five days into it, I realized that our room had a bathroom. <laughs> Listen, don't ask me how, don't ask me why. I was tired. <laughs> But that blew me away. The nurse opened the door. I was like, how long has that been there? She was like, uh, since the room was constructed and the building was constructed, it looked like a supply closet the whole entire time. I had, I had no earthly idea. What I found interesting about that story is that, you know, here we are in this, in this difficult moment, you know, just kind of walking by faith day in and day out. And we didn't realize in the moment the power that we had access to. We didn't realize in the moment the things that we had access to, and, and, and we really started going about it our own way. We had the blinders on, and we didn't realize the, the, the power, the, the resources that we had. And I think that that really can describe the Christian walk uh, on certain days, can it? 
You know, we have this relationship with Jesus Christ. He's with us in the room. We, 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 are, we are free, but we don't understand that we have access to this power to draw from. And that's what we have to understand when it comes to renewing our mind is we have this relationship with Jesus Christ that we, can, we have access to in renewing our mind. And we see David do this in one of, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24. And just to set this up, uh, Psalm 139, it opens up really beautifully. You know, David is talking about the glory of God. He's talking about how he was fearfully and wonderfully made, talking about God's, uh, you know, uh, omnipotence and just his love. And then in the middle part of the chapter, David focuses on the wickedness around him. He, he kind of switches gears here, and he starts talking about all of the wickedness that he's seeing around him, and he starts venting his frustrations. He asks God to slay all the wicked people, and then he talks about hating the wicked and hating those that hate God, and so he's, he's very raw and emotional in this moment, and then here in verse 23, there's a pivot. There's a pivot that occurs where he writes, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So here we see David upset, airing his grievances about the wickedness that he's seeing around him. He's saying, God, I, I hate the wicked. I, 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 I hate them. And then what does he do next? He realizes that, yes, he, 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 he makes this bold declaration that he hates all things wicked, but then he realizes and he pivots back to God and he says, you know what? I still need a heavenly father to search my heart, to search my motives, to point out anything in me that offends him. And, and this word here that he uses for search, the Hebrew word here is translated to describe the way that miners search deeply for gold. So, oh, that was kind of weird how that thing kind of flipped like that. Pretty cool. Uh, so he's asking God to search deeply his heart, to expose those lies, to expose those strongholds. And how many of you know that we have a heavenly father? When we ask him this, he will act. He will show us the areas in our lives that need to be addressed. But when he reveals this to us, we have to be ready to act. We have to be ready to obey. Because here's the thing that we have to realize about a stronghold. We're talking about deception and being deceived. Uh, when someone is deceived, they don't really know that they're deceived. Think about that. It's kind of not like, hi, I'm James, nice to meet you. By the way, I'm deceived. They're not going to do that, right? We, we all have blind spots, and we need the Holy Spirit to shine the light, to shine the light on our heart and our mind and our motives. We're asking him to expose the stronghold. We're also asking him to expose the lies that come at us. So you remember a stronghold, it's a collection of those lies. I'm building off of those lies. And as believers, we have to understand that, that when we believe a lie, we give Satan a foothold. We see this in the, in, in, in the story of when the serpent tempted Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 
For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So a few things that I want you to note here about how lies attack us. Notice here that, that the serpent, the scriptures call him crafty. Okay, the, the, the serpent is riding up here on Eve in a subtle way. He's not making a big, crazy entrance, right? He's not showing up with devil horns and a pitchfork and strobe lights going on and dry eyes shooting up from the ground and someone playing a rock and roll in the background. No, he's, he's subtle about it. He's subtle. And that's what we have to understand because sometimes I think that when we think about, uh, you know, r- resisting the devil and, 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 and identifying these lies, I think that sometimes as believers, we really sort of expect a bigger show, really expect it just to kind of slap us across the face. But here, the devil does it in a subtle way. You'll also notice that the moment that the serpent opens his mouth, it's an immediate lie. It's an immediate lie. He says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? That's not what God said. God said you shall not eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. So right off the bat, right off the bat, the serpent opens his mouth and he immediately tries to twist what God said. The devil likes to enter into our minds with lies and he does it by subtly twisting the word of God. And if we give him a foot foothold, he is going to absolutely push down that door. We have to understand something that when we are rooted in God's word, when we're rooted in God's word and we ask God to identify these lies that are coming at us, then that's when we can really start the process of renewing our mind. If we just let those lies sort of float around our head, uh, we're, we're really opening the door for trouble. And another thing to note here is that, you know, even Eve misquoted God. Eve says here that not only should you not eat of the tree, but if you touch it, you'll die. Well, hold on a second. That's not what God said either. And you'll notice that, that because she wasn't firm on the truth, because she wasn't firm on what God said, the serpent really took that as an opportunity to strike. We also have to understand when it comes to, to, uh, to exposing these lies in our lives, that if we come on, on an unbalanced footing in God's word, if we're not fully rooted in God's word, we're not going to be able to accurately quote God's word. We're not going to be able to accurately apply God's word. So, so, so this is very, very important when it comes to exposing the lies. The second thing that we need to understand when renewing our mind is checking our intake. What are you feeding yourself on? You know, what you fill your mind with will become your mindset. And, and furthermore, uh, what you feed your mind with will be the first thing that you lead with uh, during troubling times. This is why it's so very important to watch what is going in our eyes and what is going in our ears. In Philippian, Philippians chapter 4, Paul really gives us a detailed list of the things that we should be dwelling on. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. This word here that he uses for true, in the Greek, it means, is it valid? Is it accurate? And I feel like as believers, that's a question that we need to ask about every single thing that we intake. It's very, very important that that we have the filter of the Word of God, and we're asking this question, how does this stack up to the Word of God? We are surrounded by so many sources. 
that are constantly trying to redefine truth for us, to constantly try to distort truth for us. I, I feel like we know some of these sources really well, right? Media, social media, those are always popular examples to go to when you talk about you know, bad sources of information. But I'm also gonna throw a few other areas out there as well that we need to watch out for, like the lies that we tell ourselves about who we are, our identity, you know, maybe you're constantly beating yourself up, acting like you're a failure because you're not the perfect mother and the mother next door to you, oh, she's got it all so, so together, like her house is so clean that, that you can eat off the floor and, and, she, and all of her kids are just so like polite and, and, and they say yes, sir, and no, and, and no sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. And then they, they just, they, they break out into song and they start singing in unison and, and the birds start chirping and they just have the most perfect family. And, and here I over here, and I'm just trying to get spaghetti out of their hair this morning and just trying to get my life together. I'm a failure. Now, see, when you start dwelling like that, when you start comparing yourself like that, you're believing a lie. You're believing a lie. You have to say, okay, hold on. How does this measure up to the Word of God? What, is, what does the Word of God say about my identity? Is my identity, is that, is that being a parent? Is my identity my accomplishments? See, we have to hold it up against the word of God. Or, or, you know, a source of bad information can be relationships. Okay, so when we hear things like gossip and hearsay and slander, all of those things fly in full direct opposition of the word of God. Well, James, I don't know so much if it's true or not, but I want to tell you something about brother so-and-so. Hold on a second. You don't even know if it's true, so why are, why are you saying it? And, and if it's not true, if we haven't actually gone to the person, why are we listening to this? So we have to hold everything up to the Word of God. And what we have to understand here is that when we're not actively intaking the Word of God, we're not, when we're not building up that, that defense system in, mar, in our mind, we really open the door for fear to come in. Because we have to feed on something, right? If we're not feeding ourselves on the Word of God, this is when the door to fear opens up. It's like having the, the front door to your house wide open and, and, you know, anybody can walk in. Critters, elements uh, from the outside, anything. Yeah, I had a run-in with fear a couple of years ago. It was during the pandemic, uh, and, I, and I was working from home. Uh, Caitlin was at work, and, and, uh, and Sawyer was at daycare, and so I'm there by myself. And all of a sudden... I hear noises in my walls. I hear a little bit of scratching, kind of thumping, a little bit of kind of fluttering all throughout my walls, kind of you know, over the chimney area, uh, and, and then some coming up from the attic. So I, I start getting real nervous, and I, and I, and I immediately uh, go to Google. Uh, so how many of you know that's a dangerous rabbit hole right there uh, when you go to Google to look at things? But I went to Google, and I started Googling the, the noises that I was hearing in my house. And, you know, they pop out a list of things that it can be. And so I'm going down the list. I'm like, okay, it's, it's not a raccoon, okay, because a raccoon is big, and this doesn't sound that big. Uh, it's, it's not a bird, because I don't hear any chirping. Um, it, I don't think it's a rodent, like a, like a mouse or a squirrel, because uh, th this, this noise just sounds so loud. What I'm hearing here sounds very big. Then I get to the very end of the list, and it's bats. And, and let me tell you something, I don't do bats. 
Um, if, if you have a pet bat, if you enjoy collecting bats, great for you. But I, I don't do bats. I, I'm scared of bats. So, <laughs> so I look at this, and I, and I sort of gauge the evidence that I'm seeing and I'm hearing, and, and I realize at this point, like, oh, my goodness, it is bats. It's got to be bats. I have a bat infestation. So then I start going further down the Google rabbit hole. Now I'm learning all kinds of things about bats. I'm learning about things like bats and rabies and like what damage that bats do to a home and, and, and how costly the damage is. And then I read like horror stories of families that were bitten by bats. I'm just reading all kinds of stuff. And then at this moment, I was like, all right, enough is enough. I got to rid my house of these bats. So I, I figure that I'm going to go up in the attic, just going to look around, you know, going to have a broom with me, right? Because you never know. You got to be ready to go. All day, all day. So I, uh, I get ready. I put on multiple layers of clothes. I put on, like, my goggles from cutting the grass. I put on my COVID mask uh, and, and, uh, and a hat. And I, I'm really regretting that we didn't take a picture of this. Um, but I'm ready to go. I'm suited up. So I get up to the attic. I got my flashlight. I'm kind of, like, looking around the area. And I don't see anything. I don't see any bats anywhere. So I was like, this is very, very strange. I'm still hearing the noise. I'm still hearing the noise kind of in my walls. So later that day, around dusk, I get outside. I get on a ladder, and I'm starting to, like, look and monitor things that are coming in to, to my chimney and to my roof to see if I see anything flying in and out like, like bats. And I don't see anything. And it was so perplexing. But I was like, I've got to be able to find where these bats are. I've got to get rid of these bats. So I call a bat removal company. And they come out, and they get up in the attic, and they're looking around for evidence of bats. <clears throat> and as they're coming out of the attic, I'm fully expecting at this point for them to confirm my fears that there were bats up there. I'm fully expecting them to be like, yes, Mr. Harrelson, uh, we saw so many bats up there. I mean, bats all over the place. It was, it was a bat party going on. It was like the bat cave. Like, we saw Batman and Robin. Like, that's how many bats were in your attic and so they get out of the attic, and that's not what they tell me. Instead, they say, Mr. Harrelson, we didn't see any evidence of bats. And I was like, really? They're like, no. But we did see a little bit of evidence that you have mice up there. Mice made their way up. Somehow they, they found an opening outside, and with the seasons changing, they typically go inside to find, you know, warmer air to go. And that's what it looks like. It looks like you have my, mice. And I was like... A mouse, like, like a Mickey Mouse, like this little, like, little, like, cute little mouse, like that's what was making all of this noise? And they said, yes, because oftentimes mice will make a loud sound in the walls, and it'll make it seem that they're bigger than they actually are. And I thought about that a little bit, and I think that that describes fear, don't you think? Fear distorts the truth. I thought that I had bats in my attic. I was clearly wrong. And fear makes something more serious than it actually is. See, I thought that the problem was much bigger. I thought I had bats in my attic because of what I was hearing, because of what I was letting in my ear gate. Even though I went up there and there were no bats, I was still sold on that fact because of the intake that I was consuming. On top of this, uh, I, when you're fearful, you end up searching for evidence in your life that supports your stronghold. So what did I do once I immediately thought that I had bats? 
I immediately went to Google and continued to learn more about the history of bats and the different types of species of bats. In Ohio, I continued to search evidence that supported my stronghold. That is why it is so absolutely imperative that we watch what we are intaking because what disrupts this cycle is a steady intake of God's word. When we are constantly in the word, we're able to get through this toxic cycle where we are constantly reinforcing our fears. <clears throat> the third point that we need to look at, and uh, the band can go ahead and come up here, is that we must ask God to replace the lie with his truth. So up to this point, we're asking God to search our hearts, search our minds, to point out anything in, in our hearts and minds that, that offends him, to expose those strongholds and to expose those lies. And then we have to make sure that we are constantly intaking uh, his word because that helps drive out uh, the negative strongholds and the fear that enters into our life. And because we have this relationship, because we're deeply in the word, deeply in worship and prayer, we can then ask God to replace the lie with his truth. Now, God really showed me this in a powerful way um, a few months back. So we had our worship night uh, a few months ago, and it was, it was fantastic. I mean, it was just awesome uh, praising Jesus all night long and just seeing just the bondage and the chains that were broken off of people. Again, I highly encourage you to come tonight. It's, it's going to be a powerful, powerful evening. But we're there. We're, we're playing the set. And uh, for the, about the first five or six songs, uh, you know, I'm on keys. I'm playing. And I'm noticing that every now and then I'm, I'm missing a note here and there. I'm, uh, I, I don't quite remember the chord progression. Uh, there's some songs where I'm a little bit offbeat. But you know, when, when, you're, when, you're, when you're playing music, when you're, when you're in that moment worshiping God, you try to really just filter out those mistakes and just keep focusing. You know, keep focusing. And that's kind of what I did for the first five to six songs. But when we sat down, when we had a little bit of break in the set and we sat down and Pastor Jason started speaking, I found my mind starting to wander a little bit. I found my mind starting to look at the mistakes that I was making on the keyboard and sort of playing like a highlight reel of, of James' mistakes in his brain. And I kept thinking about it and I kept saying things like, oh, James, you missed that note. James, I'm not even sure you were in the right key on that song. And I kept entertaining these thoughts, and pretty soon it started to bother me. I started to feel terrible about myself. I started to feel like I, I, I had ruined things and become a distraction. I felt like I let down God. I felt like I left, let down my, my team because they were playing with this keyboardist who was just all over the place that night. And I started really internalizing this thought. Now, before I talk about how I tackled this thought, we need to identify the lie here that I'm entertaining. It's the lie of perfectionism. You know, perfectionism where things have to go according to your plan and you have a certain definition of success and you're afraid to fail at things, and you're paralyzed by, by the fear of failure, that it absolutely consumes your life. 
And this little lie of perfectionism, it's very important for us to sort of take this down its natural road. So if I continue to build off of this lie that I am, that I am faced with right now, this leads to a lifestyle of perfection, right? Because I keep dwelling on this idea that I have to be perfect all day, every day. And essentially the lie that perfectionism tries to tell us is that God's grace isn't enough that you must also evaluate yourself by man-made standards and expectations. So when this lie came into my head, I immediately knew it was a lie, right? The alarm bells are going off. And as we're sitting there waiting to go on, I, I go straight to God. I'm like, God, this is what I'm thinking. Here's my mind. Help me. Help me. You are the only one, God, and your truth is the only one that can shatter this lie. And Father, I need your help. This is what I'm thinking right now. I'm thinking that I'm a failure right now. I'm thinking that I've let people down. And I go to him. I go to him in prayer. I don't hide anything from him. I show him what is in my heart and the lie that has entered in. And so I'm praying with him, and, and, and as, I'm, as, I, as I'm praying and, and, and just asking God to expose this lie and destroy it, I feel him ask me in this moment, James, do your plans have to go perfectly in order for me to transform someone's life tonight? And I, I said, no, God. Things don't have to go by my, by my perfect plan. And then in that moment, I looked up across the room, and Pastor Jason's still, still speaking at this point. I look uh, across the room, and I see people wiping tears from their eyes. I see people with their heads bowed. I see people being set free. I see the Holy Spirit moving throughout the room. And then God reminded me of all those Sundays when we're up here playing. And I'm just having one of those days, right, where I'm missing something on the keys or I'm missing a note or whatever, whatever's going on. And then I look out and I see an entire room of people with their hands outstretched to God, tears streaming down their face, people kneeling down, people absolutely ex experiencing a life change, a breakthrough moment. The Holy Spirit is moving in this moment. And then God brought truth to my mind. He reminded me of Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, where it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It's not about my perfections. It's not about my perfections. It's all about his grace. His grace transforms me. And when he gave me this truth, I just let it wash all over me. I embraced it. I ran to it. I ran to it. And then for the second half of that worship night, I just let it all out in worship and praise. Thanking God, thanking God for catching that lie, demolishing it, because I could have easily gone the opposite direction. Now, if you're listening to the story and you think it's a story about how James overcame a thought, that's not what this is at all. That's not the point of this story. This story isn't about me. This story is about God and his infinite power and grace transforming and renewing my mind with his truth. It's him in his, in his wonderful grace and mercy shattering a perfectionist mindset, turning the focus off of me and putting it back on him, 
It's the powerful reminder from God and his truth that I am not the hero of my own story. You are not the hero of your own story. God is the hero of our story. It is only through him that we are made complete. And when you, when, when you, when you embrace this truth, when you embrace God's grace, it shatters your performance. It shatters your perfectionism. And you realize in that moment, I am a child of God. And that's all that matters in this moment. All that matters is obedience, not perfectionism, not, not my accomplishments, but obeying the one true heavenly Father who has set me free and embracing that freedom. It's only when we embrace that freedom that we can truly go down this path of renewing our mind. And the last point here is that we need to focus on Jesus through a lifestyle of worship. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The author writes, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. The key to a transformed mind is the steady gaze at the glory of Jesus Christ. And how do we do this? How do we sharpen this gaze? We do it through worship. You know, I think this is pretty cool. There's a lot of scientific studies that have been done on the impact that worship has on our brains. And it's funny because a lot of people will try to use science to disprove the existence of God, but ultimately what happens is it just further proves the existence of God when they try to use scientific studies. And so they did one about the brain and, and what happens when we worship. And they found that when we worship, there's an increase in activity in the frontal lobe of our brain. So essentially, it's creating uh, entire brain functionality in that moment of worship. How, how amazing is that? How powerful is that? Because when we are in worshiping God, when we have our hands outstretched to him, when we have our eyes fixed on him, there is no other room in our mind to think a thought that is anything other than the glory of Jesus Christ. We were created to worship. You and I were created to worship. I love this quote by A.W. Tozer. We are saved to worship God. All that Christ has done in the past and all that he is doing now leads to this one end. When we live a life in awe of God's glory, his salvation, his holiness, when we walk in constant thanksgiving and praise, when we're, we're focusing on the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we live a lifestyle that has that at the top of our priority list in our thought life, that's when we can experience true freedom. What, what, what greater thought to constantly meditate on than the life-transforming truth of the gospel? who Jesus Christ is, what he's done in your life, what he's doing now, and what he will do. So as we close, if everyone can bow their head here, eyes closed, I want to pray for two groups here this morning. The first group that I want to pray for is the believer who has a relationship with Jesus Christ but they find themselves locked in a mental stronghold. 
Maybe you feel like you just simply can't shake your thought life and there's a stronghold. Maybe it's an unforgiveness stronghold. Maybe it's comparison. Maybe it's living a life of fear. You just don't know how you can break that stronghold. If that describes you right now in this moment, uh, everyone's head is down. If you can just do uh, me a favor and just raise your hand real quick. And if that describes you this morning, just so I know who I am praying for. Thank you. Thank you. Yep, I got you guys. Thank you. And if you're watching online, just let us know there in the chats that you need prayer. Heavenly Father, I lift up those that have raised their hands just now in this moment, God. And those that haven't, Father, you know the hearts and minds of everyone in this room, everyone watching online. And Father, I pray that this morning is a defining moment for them, that it's a moment of breakthrough in their thought life. God, I pray that you would expose the strongholds, expose the lies that are feeding into those strongholds, and God, that you replace those lies with your truth, Father. Lord, that they would focus on you, that they would keep their eyes fixed upon you through a lifestyle of worship, constantly in your word, constantly praising you, constantly looking to you for direction over their lives, God. Lord, I pray that every single thought that enters in their head is honoring to your name. Father, I pray that every single thought that, 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 that enters their head doesn't filter into a, a stronghold, but God continues to strengthen their walk with you, continues to strengthen their relationship with you. Father, that no matter what hits them in this world, God, that they can rest assured knowing that they have a heavenly Father who is bigger than their problems. And Father, I just pray that over them in this room, in this moment, God, that you would come into their hearts and minds, God, that you would comfort them in this moment. And lastly, I want to pray for the group that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You know, maybe you're sitting here and, and you're hearing all of this about living a life of freedom in the mind and what a relationship with Jesus Christ does for us, but you haven't made the decision to, to say yes to Jesus Christ. Again, with every head bowed, if that describes you today, if you want to say yes to Jesus Christ today, you can just do me a quick favor, raise up your hand real quick. And if you're online, you can put inside the chat uh, there in the comment section that you're ready to say yes to Jesus. And as we close today, I want everyone uh, to repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to raise from the dead. And today, I give him my heart, my life. Make me a new creature. Old things pass away, and all things become new. Today I receive forgiveness for my past, victory for my present, and hope for my future. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Let's give God a round of praise. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. Be sure to connect with us on social media, the RLC app, and online at livereallife.com.